episode 19, you say. Wow. Wow. We're like almost to 20. We've done good. We've done good. So Roberson Museum, I, I, I wanted to tell you some stuff I found out and some personal stuff that, that happened to me um, at this location. Okay. Before you do that, let's do a quick introduction. Oh, I forgot about that. I know. That's okay. It's witchcraft. Hey, it's 4.20 a.m. Hi, and welcome to the Stoned Witches Hour. On this podcast, two best friends, Shell on the East Coast and Layla on the West Coast, tell each other spooky tales of true crime and ghostly hauntings each week and smoke weed while we do it. <laughs> I'm Layla. <laughs> I, I can't. Really, really high. Really, really high. I am really, really high. I'm Layla, and I am really, really high. Yeah. And I'm really, really high today, and I'm Shell. Hi, Shell. <laughs> well, you know, we're recording on a Monday right after a weekend, and I think we both really needed to get high. We did. We did. Like, this was a weekend that you needed a Monday off to get high on kind of Oh, weekend. my goodness, yes. Whew, so much. Let me tell you, it is, like, warm on the East Coast. I know that your idea of warm out there is different and nobody cares. Nobody likes California. To <laughs> but here in the East Coast today, it is like 70 degrees. It is like the beginning of May, 70 degrees. This is like the most delightful day. I bet it's gorgeous. And you had mentioned that you're back in our old stomping grounds. You're in central New York. I am. I am. I am actually in our old meetup town. It's the Southern Tier, silly. We're in the Southern, southern Tier of tier, New York. Right, that's Central Southern Tier. I apologize. New York has so many different distinct sections. We have so many tiers. All we know is we are not New York City. That's all we know. <laughs> so I'm recording today from upstate New York. Woo, woo. And, and my story today is from my hometown. And I'm going to talk about a place that I'm literally like five miles from. And I'm excited. I cannot wait to hear it because I know that this is a place that I heard about. I met you in this town. And when I first moved here, I heard about this haunted Roberson Museum. And when I met you, you had had experiences there. And I knew so many of our friends that had experiences there. This is one of those places that's definitely a hometown hotspot. Absolutely. You know, even if you look up haunted places in upstate New York, it is one of the uh, one of the hotspot listed places. It just happens to be in our hometown or in my hometown. That's all. <laughs> I love it though. I our love friendships hometown, the hometown of our friendship, our OG location, the OG location. Oh, I love that. And there were so many places around there. There was the mafia house. There was the asylum there. There's the cemeteries, the native American girl cemetery. There's yep. so many places in that area. We already talked about devil's elbow in a week ago, a different episode. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. You know, really, I think the deal with upstate New York is because there was so many Native American tribes and then some of the earliest Americans um, that came that are the earliest folks that came to America um, came to portions of New York state. Um, so there's there's just a lot of history and history creates hauntings, in my opinion. It's, it really, really does. does seem to. Yeah, it really history does. History creates hauntings. And that's why I always say that the East Coast is the best coast. 
just because there's more history here. And the more history, the more hauntings. I think maybe that's why I've run into more true crime out here. Not that there aren't as many hauntings because they are around, but a lot of the more famous ones do seem to be on the East Coast, or maybe I'm just not as good at looking for them. But (laughs) (laughs) but they're... They all seem to be tied to places, whether on the East Coast or out here on the Western half of the U.S. You know, there's the Whaley House. There's the the Remington Mansion. It's, it's the different places that seem to record and hold on to these events and feelings. So the more the more events that a place has, the more chance it has to be haunted or have some type of some type of ghostly recording. Well, and I also think that um, when you when you dive into some more oddly paranormal Hollywood legends, some of that's going to be associated with the more things that happen at a location, the more active that location becomes because some freaky deaky stuff has happened in Hollywood over the years. Let's face it. That's very true. And I'm sorry, I'm very high and I have to pause and because I was packing my bong while you were talking. And remember (laughs) I told you this? (laughs) It's so pretty, Shell. I have to share. (laughs) (laughs) I love it you. is though. I love you too. But look how pretty, Shell. Can you see those oh little God. dark spots? That's like the purple. It's so oh, wow. beautiful. Yeah. Like you break into this light green. And I mean, some of the purple shows through on the outside, but it really comes through when you break into it and you can really see how dark I hate and to say it, but is. I would have probably stuffed that whole nugget in my pipe as it. But it's so resiny. If you stuff a nug in there. They are. And if you don't break it up, it doesn't light very well. And I don't oh. I don't like it. So I, I like to break it up. Kind of like uh, Lisa Ann, our past guest, was talking about her baklava layered pack. Yep. Yep. I am nowhere near that artistic. So I guess I'm between you on the one end of just shoving it in and her being very artistic and perfect on the other end. I'm somewhere in the middle. I do like to break it up and make it fluffy. And then I kind of pack it in lightly so it burns really nicely. It just gives me a better smoke and it lasts longer. I just can't get it to burn well if I just shove the whole nug in there. I go back and forth on the grinder thing. Sometimes I'll use the grinder consistently. Like if I'm using my chillum, Obviously, I have to use the grinder because you can't really pack a chillum with anything other than right. ground up. Because like today, I'm smoking back out of my silicone pipe that I love. I love this thing. Like it can't get clogged. I see those more and more. I cannot wait to get one and try. I want to try a silicone bong. You know how bad I am at clogging pipes. <laughs> You're so bad. You were going to tell us how it cleaned. Have you cleaned it yet? I haven't had to. That's how awesome it is, by the way. No way. I mean, I've probably had this, what, like a month, month and a half. And yeah, it and you haven't clogged. had to clean it yet? No. Nope. Wow. That's impressive. Nope. That was totally worth $9.99. I'm just saying. Nice. Just saying. I, I'm liking the new silicone stuff. But uh, yeah, so sorry about the tangent. <laughs> I just think the problem is, is that we both got good weed today. It's just we both got good weed on the opposite spectrums. <laughs> I I normally get your kind of weed. <laughs> and I normally get your kind of weed where I'm kind yeah. of like all mellow and hey. And, and today I just got that like zoomy zoom weed where you just want to chat and clean. You know what's funny what? is that there are people out in the world that are getting a kick out of listening to you and I hang out and smoke weed. To all of our listeners out there, as, as you've known throughout some of these episodes, I'm the instigator of good adventures slash trouble. So 
I got a five-year plan. They always say make a five-year plan. You follow us for the whole five years and damn it, we're going to have like a Layla Shell festival. We always wanted to do a festival. That would be amazing. Like the Layla Shell Paranormal Festival, someplace yeah. really cool. Yeah. Okay. Oh, Paranormal Weed Festival. <laughs> oh yeah. That would be excellent. Yeah. What we could do is we could go to your biggest like scary place in the world. We'll take you to an asylum for the weekend because you hate them. I do hate and those. We will bring a shit ton of weed with us and we will just ghost hunt and get high and broadcast live and like bring a group of like 20 friends with us. Okay. That is a good way to get me to go to an asylum, bring a lot of weed, bring some ghost hunting equipment so I can get as many orb photos as I want. And some of our crazy listeners. And some crazy listeners. How fun would that be? Oh my gosh. Just get high in an asylum all weekend and hope we all make it out alive. (laughs) We would have to take a roll call at the beginning, at the end and be like, all right, what happened to Joe? Where did Joe go? But what happens if we take a roll call at the end and we end up with more people than we started with? (laughs) And they come with us. (laughs) (laughs) Be like, I'm sorry, the weed's all gone. Just stay here. We don't have any more. Because we are definitely not fuck around and find out type of people. We would not be taking Ouija boards with us. No, no Ouija boards <laughs> to the to the haunted asylum. I'm pretty sure we established that as a cold, hard rule right from episode one. We, we know much better than that. Our listeners, not so much because we've asked for some stories from our listeners and we have, again, gotten a great response. So if you would like to be included in our Your Stories episode, Please send us in your personal experiences. But I've read a couple of them that involve Ouija boards. And man, they are fuck around and find out people because some of them should listen to you, Shell. They should know better and they don't. They don't. Well, you know, the problem is, is they sell them at Target. That's the problem. (laughs) Yes. When you get your Target brand Ouija Ouija board, board, you're going to get a Walmart brand demon. Is that what you're saying here? I am saying that like <laughs> if you if you want to get the creme de la creme of ghosty bullshit don't be buying it at Target like I love Target like I am not bashing Target as a corporation I swear I'm there like three times a week it's an obsession but not for like Ouija boards come on people you live in the world of Amazon <laughs> <laughs> like don't do target amazon is where it's at (laughs) (laughs) but no there's etsy there's local shops buy yourself a buy a good one is what you're saying buy buy not a mass-produced spiritual divination item not a mass-produced and and if you are blessed enough to be in the northeast unlike yourself Because the East Coast is the the best coast, obviously. If you are blessed enough to be in the Northeast, there are places in downtown Salem, Massachusetts that make these like hand-carved, hand-painted. These are like awesome. Not to mention, there's also a um, Ouija board museum in Salem, which definitely a good stop to make. We will have to do an episode all on Ouija boards and people's experiences with Ouija boards, because those are some interesting stories for sure. All the way from handcrafted to Parker Brothers. Right. (laughs) But definitely go to your local shop. If you want to get a Ouija board or any type of tool for your magical adventures or your ghost hunting adventures, go to a local shop, find something handmade, find something local. At least it's going to have a better story. Or, you know, if you're all crafty, 
you could make your own. You could. Don't they do that in some of the um, the Ouija, like the horror movies with the Ouija boards? They have the glass and the cutout letters. Yeah. So that always yeah. struck me as a bad idea. Actually, I saw, I, I was watching a movie not too long ago because from our time with We All Pod down here, mm-hmm. I, I've been starting to explore some off the top shelf scary movies. They inspired me. They definitely have some good choices. If you're someone who likes horror movies and you're, and you're not sure exactly what to watch or you want something different than the mainstream horror movie, check out We All Pod down here, their podcast. They have some great horror movies that they've reviewed. You can certainly Absolutely. find something you like there. Absolutely. But I, I saw in one of these movies, someone took a paper towel and a Sharpie marker and used the donut. A donut. A donut? Yeah. As the planchette? Yeah, it's the planchette. They wrote all the letters, <laughs> the yes, no, on a paper towel with a Sharpie marker, and then used a donut as a planchette. Proof that where there's a will, there's a way. That reminds me of, as a baby stoner, using an apple to make myself a pipe. I mean, ingenuity, right? All I can think of is, like, go kitchen witches. you just making mountains out of molehills here, people. Mountains <laughs> out of molehills. Or demons out of bounty. I don't know. The quicker demon picker-upper? So what are you smoking today? Because you just keep hitting that bong like it's just a bong full of happiness. And I want to know what's in it. It is a bong full of happiness. I have reached for the top shelf. Ooh, you don't always do that. I don't. I'm a little too frugal and I do like my homegrown a little bit too much. You know, it's nice just to have a nice stash here and smoke on that. But every once in a while you want something different. So I I did go for the top shelf and it's called Bacchio Gelatio. Oh, I'm not sure how to pronounce that. It looks Italian. Gelato's Italian, right? I'm assuming it's some sort of play on gelato. Probably. Is it gelato or gelatio? I don't know how. No, gelato. Is it good? Just gelato. Bacchio gelato. It's delicious. What's this it, does it taste delicious. like gelato? It does. It tastes like heaven <laughs> in a little nug. It is sweet. It has a really sweet, rich flavor. And these buds are so cute. They're like green and crystally on the outside but when you break it open it's like deep purple on the inside oh so good oh how beautiful they are gorgeous they're resiny they're gorgeous and the taste is delicious and the high is just fantastic is this like uh you got shit to do kind of high or nappy time high this is definitely nappy time high so if i forget what I'm talking about today. It's, it's the gelato's fault for sure. (laughs) I probably should not be podcasting and smoking this weed because this is, this is lay in the couch, do nothing, just hang out. It's a, it's a, it's an indica dominant hybrid. And even though I still think those are outdated classifications, you can, you can certainly feel that, that strong indica, indica couchness. You know, I would just like to talk about that for a second. Now, you say that that's becoming outdated. Here's the problem. When you are a pot snob, such as yourself. (laughs) Yes. You like these terms. It's like changing so quickly. And I think legalization is making that change so quickly. Old stoners like me can't keep up with the change, man. Just as we start getting like for any of these listeners who have listened to us since episode one, they're going to be like, Shell has come leaps and bounds with using different words. I know That's what true. terpenes are. You know what a cultivar is. I do. But like, just as I'm starting to barely get used to that, Indica and Sativa is outdated. 
slow down, people. Slow down. Break that train a little bit. I smoke too much weed for this much change. I agree. And I also completely disagree. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying that what it's always been is right, but it's just a lot of change real quick. It is a lot. And that's exactly what I agree with is that we do need to find some way to easily bring people to new class to a more correct classification system, especially because you and I talk about smoking to get high, smoking to hang out with friends, smoking to do housework, smoking to be in the couch, smoking for pain relief. There are as many different people as there are, there are different reasons to smoke. There are legitimately different cultivars that will help you on your journey to whichever one of those results you would like. And just saying hybrid or indica or sativa not only isn't scientifically correct, it doesn't really help you that much. It's easy and it's simple. And we need to start from there for sure so that we can carry people along without losing them. You know, there are classifications and I'll put one out there. It's a little much to go into on the air, but the Emerald Cup has come up with a cannabis classification system that's amazing. And they have six different classifications, Jackson Hayes, Tropical and Floral, OGs and Gas, sweets and dreams, dessert, and exotics. And they break it down really well on their website. And and six is definitely more than three. But I, post I think that, we can get post there. That link. You'll get post that link on this episode, right? Definitely. I definitely will. All right. So people can take a look at that. But what are you smoking on today? Actually smoking dog patch. And I tried Ooh. something. I tried something that you told me, you know, once in a while, I'll listen to you. <laughs> What'd you try? A lower THC. <gasps> Oh, wow. Shell. What made you reach for a lower THC? Um, let's be real. Yes. Wallets. We've, we've talked about in, 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 in everybody's heard our suffrages here about the whole $60 an eighth business. So this, it was a Cinco de Mayo sale. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Always hitting the sales. Got to get it where you can. So they had this one day Cinco de Mayo sale and I hit it up. I was able to get eighths for 36. Nice. But only of certain cultivars. Nice. Nicely done. Nicely done. I see what you did there. I'm using the words. (laughs) So, I mean, I did get a couple higher ones. I mean, let's not fool ourselves. You are who you are. I am who I am. But (laughs) this dog patch, I got two eighths of it and it's only 17.1. And I got to say, I almost feel like I'm literally just as high as the other stuff. That's great. I think you might have been on to something there on the old switcheroo back and forth. Yeah, there really is something to the terpenes and how, you know, how everything works together. So that's why I think we need to have a little bit better of a classification system and, and a little bit better way to present it to people because there are people, shall that just like to reach for that top shelf. And I don't blame you. It tastes great. Smokes great. Feels great. Why would you reach for something else? Except maybe when you need to save a little bit of money. And then you need to talk to somebody who knows what they've got and can and can talk you into that 17% THC that you normally would have ignored. So, exactly. Exactly. And it's like, even if you're just trying just more of the, I just want to get high. Well, you get kind of immune to that 34% if that's all you're smoking. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. Yeah, it's like if you take too much of any type of medicine, you take too much and then it just starts to not work as much. Ooh. So you got to maybe switch medicine or switch brand or switch dosage or a tolerance so, break or a tolerance break. So 
maybe you might be on to something about you don't always have to reach for top shelf 100% of the time. Yep. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. I'll take the win on this one. Thank you. That's a good one. <laughs> no, I'm really glad. That, I'd just like to point out that's a Layla win. That is not a <laughs> West Coast win. <laughs> Well, you know, my stories have been racking up the wins lately, so yeah, I have keep to dreaming. say. Keep dreaming. <laughs> and, I, you know, this episode, too, episode 19, I have to say my story this week is also probably going to win. It's very much a West Coast, Southwestern story. Ooh, so, interesting. Yeah, it, it has, interestingly enough, it kind of has ties to some other stories we've done. The Lady in White ghost story out of Texas and your devil's elbow lady in white ghost story. This is another similar type of lady in white. This one is out of Mexico and her name is La Llorona. Ooh, yeah, interesting. She's very scary. Have you ever heard of her at all? Have not, I have no. not. I just like the name. I do too. I first heard of her when I came out here uh, from some people I had met here. Some of my Latina friends mentioned her to me because they know I'm into spooky kind of things. And recently when I started researching it, um, I asked my kids to ask their friends if they have heard of it. And some had and some hadn't. So it's not super pervasive, but it is something that it, that's pretty well known. That's definitely a local legend on some level. Exactly. And it has and it has connections and roots to European legends, to goddesses, to ghost stories all over the country, as a lot of these do. So what are you talking about this week, Shell? Well, I actually am going to take it back to uh, the old hometown today. I am actually doing our show today from New York State. I am I am still in the Northeast, but not back in, in Salem. the old stomping grounds. Back in the old stomping grounds, I am actually going to do a local story and we are going to talk about the Roberson Museum in downtown Binghamton, New York. You have always loved the Roberson. I have. I have. Now, haven't you had your own ghostly experiences in the Roberson? I have. I have. So that was also part of the reason why I wanted to talk about Roberson today, because it's also partial personal experience. So like I this dog patch stuff. This dog patch stuff, first of all, it is a function smoke. Okay. Like get you, up and do stuff smoke. You are get up. Like I, I could clean a house right now and be good and keep smoking. Like this That's is my not, favorite kind. You, you almost feel like you drank like some of those five hour energies. Nice. Or like, I love or like a monster. That gives me energy. Now, what is it classified as dog patch? Um, hold. Sure. Do, 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 do. No, wait, that's not hold music. That's like game show music. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Hold music. <laughs> um, okay. Let's see what it says. Hybrid. Oh, okay. See, that's everything's a hybrid nowadays, especially because we all want both. We want the, the body buzz and the mental high. We all want right. the hybrid. We just need a better system, better classification system. So we know for sure. So like, I don't even know what this is, to be honest with you, because it says hybrid. But like, what do like you say, like, what does that mean? Yeah. Is it a sativa dominant and indica dominant? What does that even mean? What are the what are the flavors? Does it have a flavor? Hopefully it doesn't taste like dog. (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, this is the one time I would think you would hope that the weed doesn't taste like its name. Right, right. But like, what is dog pad? See, that's where I wonder, like, I could be the person coming up with these names. Just let me get really high on this shit and I give me 20 minutes and I will have a, a kick ass name for you. Like who came up with dog patch? Like what and is why dog patch? I don't know. I don't even know the origins of it. You know, maybe sometime uh, when we talk about weed, instead of focusing on what we're smoking on an episode, what we should do is talk about the origin of what we're smoking. Where did it come from? Oh, there you go. Well, leafly.com is a good website to go to. And I just looked up dog patch on leafly and they don't know much about it either. They said it's a hybrid and its flavor and aroma is woody. Yeah, I'd say that. Yeah, its top effect, they say, is talkative. And it did get a 4.3 out of 5 star rating. And they said it's much more on the energizing. They have a calming to energizing Mm -hmm. ratio. And it's on the more energizing effect, just like you said. I totally agree with that. Totally. Like this, this is like you got shit to do weed. Exactly. And and Leafly says that their users report that the strain effects for dog patch are talkative, energetic, and happy. Yeah. I'd go with that. Yeah, they say the flavors are woody, apricot, and menthol. Does that sound about right? Um, I do not I would woody, yes. Apricot and menthol. Nah, not in what I'm smoking. Not so much. No, like not that I've ever smoked an apricot, but I don't, I'm not getting a fruity flavor like an apricot would suggest. And I, unfortunately, <laughs> as a cigarette smoker, please don't judge me. We don't on emails about my bad habits. I do not smoke menthols and I do not like them. And if there were definitely a menthol taste in this, it, I would pick it out in a second. And I do not. The, the woody, Yes. But I'm only I'd only agree with the woody flavor, but that could just be batch to batch, you know, depending on when or where or who grew it, you might get slightly different results, which is why I love places like leafly.com. I just looked up my Bacchio gelato. Uh-huh. What is it? <laughs> Mine is way more the calming to energizing scale. Mine is almost all the way down on the calming end. And I was going to say, are you bottoming out over there? <laughs> yes, definitely bottoming out. This says it, that it's good for a late night session or a lazy day with minimal plans. And that's exactly <laughs> what I had said because it, it does. It, it gives you your brain and your body both just very melty and, and mellow and happy. If this has a 4.8 out of 5 rating on Leafly. And the users say their feelings are aroused, sleepy, and euphoric for the strain effects. Ooh. I agree with that. The strain flavors, the top three were vanilla, berry, and mint. And I would agree with the vanilla, I think all three of them, because it does have that thick, rich vanilla flavor. Right. And just just hints of maybe the berry and and a little tiny bit of an aftertaste of mint. It's delicious. I love this. It's, It's quite good. That actually sounds delightful. Right? Something else that we should be able to swap back and forth. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I wish. Like, <laughs> we, we, need, we need to definitely be scanning the news for some of these government updates because it'll probably go on the DL, you know? Well, with so much going on right now, it, I'm hopeful that it doesn't get pushed to the back burner. I think you know, we should be able to focus on more than one thing at a time and they should just legalize this and and get it out of the way. Yeah. All right. So record scratch, let's go back to the Roberson and tell me more about this 
America's or what, what did you say? Somebody's top haunted place. It is on the upstate New York haunted okay. places in upstate New York. It's, it's a website. I don't know. They come up with nice. these. I, I think every state has a website to be honest with you. So Roberson Museum, this is uh, located in downtown Binghamton, New York. We love Binghamton. We're glad we don't live there anymore, but we still love to visit. Yeah, it's a great place to visit. There's a lot there. Um, home of Rod Sterling, by the way. Just want to put that out there. Oh, yeah. If you love the Twilight Zone. I was born in the Twilight Zone. I'm just saying. <laughs> so in Binghamton, there's a confluence of two rivers, uh, the Shenango River and the Susquehanna. And the Roberson Museum is pretty much right at that confluence. And first and foremost, separate from anything else, I'm going to say, I feel that there are energies at confluences like that. Um, they're kind of like places where energy gathers. If you want to just give it a witchy perspective for a second, because this is like two big rivers in the region coming together, merging the one river into the other bigger one. There, there is, is an energy pull, um, I feel, in those types of, of locations. I agree. We've heard that before in other places that there's often running water nearby. We've even talked to people who've mentioned different theories, uh, like the stone tape theory and, and different theories with different types of, of stone and running water that can create some sort of field or, like you were said, maybe a confluence of energies there. And the Susquehanna River has its own history and its own, I don't Stuff. know, yeah, its own energy. So that, that's a pretty powerful river in and of itself. This is located pretty much where these two rivers come together and become one river and make the larger Susquehanna River. So there's that energy field going on to begin with. This is a house that was built, I want to say, let's see. Let me see if I can get an exact date here. I don't want to mislead any super Roberson fan. Because I think it was like 1901, Alonzo Roberson Jr. acquired the land in 1904. And at the time of purchase, he had already begun construction. So he basically began construction on so it. So he started building the house first prior, and then he bought the land. <laughs> pretty much. You know, that's how we do in New York. I guess so. <laughs> Tried to do that now, you know, you just go to be like, hey, this plot of land looks nice. I'll start building my house here and then I'll see if I can buy it. I'm just going to take it. Yeah. So this is like a red and white brick building. I don't know the easiest way to describe it to folks. It looks like a mini white house, but made out of brick. Okay. That's a good description of it. Kind of that colonial look. Yeah. It has columns. Yeah. In the front. It's got the, the pillar things. So there was this guy, his name was Alonzo Roberson Jr. And uh, him and his wife acquired the land and built the house. <laughs> he was a carpenter and she was a school teacher. This house, believe it or not, uh, has 26 rooms in it. Okay, hold on, hold on. This is starting to sound like an episode of House Hunters. You know, he was a carpenter. She was a school teacher and their budget is 3.2 million. Wh yeah, what right? the hell? They built a house, 26 rooms back in the early 1900s on a carpenter and a school teacher's salary. Had 11 fireplaces. 11 fire. Did he come from money? Like, where did he get the money to do this? I think that what it was, um, I, I want to say his father had money and he got the money from his father. Oh, so it was like family money. So he came from money then. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, cause this had the raw iron gate 
the, and like it's a the beautiful raw building. iron fences. So it's got that like raw iron fencing all around the whole thing. I mean, it's pretty impressive to look at. Obviously, nowadays they've built a planetarium alongside it. But when you look at the actual mansion itself, it's actually pretty damn impressive. It's quite impressive. And, and particularly for the time, I imagine it, it was huge. It was probably considered one of the, the best houses in the area. They actually hired some like big wig Italian Renaissance style designer architect person to come and create it. It looks like it was totally finished in 1907. And like this place is like, they, it is still right now today. It pretty much looks exactly like it did in 1907. Yeah, barely changed. It, it, yeah, it, it's pretty impressive. Remember back in the day when you used to come and hang out at my house every night? Like, think of me as like the Robersons, but I did not have as cool of a location. <laughs> I'm sorry. Your apartment over the garage was very, very cool. Very cool. <laughs> it was. But it was not the Roberson. <laughs> it was not the Roberson Museum. But like these, these folks did not have children. Um, they were at that point unable to have children thus far. The, it was just the two of them. Why did two people need 26? First of all, you got to keep up with the Joneses, I guess. Now, there was actually a theater um, built it is, it, like as part of it. I want to say it was like a hundred seat theater, maybe like in the Whaley house. Theater. They had the theater in, in the Whaley house. So they had one here in the Roberson too. They did. <laughs> They this is did. like the pool of the early 1900s. Apparently. So there's this like, I don't know, 100, 150 uh, seat theater next to the, the house portion of it. So fast forward, Alonzo dies in 1934. He had wanted the house to become an education center for the community upon his death. So he dies in 1934. In the house, we'll start there. Because, you know, back then... People pretty much died at home unless it was like war or, you know, things of that nature. But like you didn't go to a hospital and die. You died in your bed or on your couch kind of thing. Yeah, there were no convalescent homes, really. You pretty much no. stayed home and were taken care of, hopefully, by family. Right. So he dies in the home, 1934. And Mrs. Roberson continued to live in the mansion for almost 20 more years. She didn't die until 1953. Just her all alone in this huge 11 fireplace mansion. 26 rooms. Yeah. Wow. Um, I never was able to find out if she died in the house or not, but I'm going to get to a personal story in a second, which leads me to believe that I think she did, Ooh. but it could go either way. It could just be an emotional attachment. I've seen Mrs. Roberson. We'll get there, but I am not able to find any documentation on one way or another, her location of death. It is alleged that Mr. Roberson is still there. And before I kind of get into some of the, the other internet out there stories, other people's stories, I'm going to go, I'm going to start with my story on why I think these folks are there. Tell us a personal ghost story, Shell. Back in my younger days, right around the time I had gotten pregnant for my first child, actually a little bit before I met you, if that tells you how long ago this was. It was a little while ago. So I was like 18. You know, when you don't have kids, you have these weird aspirations in life. And I wanted to be an FBI investigator. I stumbled upon this job. I mean, I was going to college, but I was going to get a job that was going to lead me down that path. So I found a job, 18 years old, third shift security guard at Roberson Museum. 
Sure. If you want to be an FBI agent, that's a good place to start while you're in college. You know, I just started college for criminal justice. I wanted to be basically what it was is I wanted to be Clarice from Silence of the Lambs. That was like my life goal. So I want to be Clarice. I'm going to school. That's kind of frightening, Shell. I know, right? <laughs> That's scary. <laughs> so getting a job in security as an 18-year-old was going to be like my first step in a law enforcement lifelong journey. I get this third shift security and I'm like, who, what, how hard can this be being a security guard at a museum third shift? It's closed. What is going to be going on in this closed place? Nothing. Easy job. Sounds like a great job to get high. Just walk around and look at all the cool stuff. And I was 18 years old and I'm not going to lie and say that that had never happened, but (laughs) not the topic of this story. So, you know, I thought as an 18 year old local, I thought the worst thing I was going to have to deal with was maybe some of the homeless folks that live on the riverbank um, right nearby, uh, wandering into the property and stuff. And I, I thought that would be my biggest issue. And boy, was I wrong because I, I only ended up there for about a year. And in the year that I worked there, I encountered some things that I was too young and scared to encounter. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, the place generally, uh, because there is a theater, like I said, there's a theater attached to the house mansion portion might not have been originally, but now it's kind of all one structure. There'd be times I'd work like 11 to seven and they are the local theater company. I can't recall the name of it at the moment, but one of the local theater companies utilizes that for their, their performances on their shows. So there'd be times where I would go into work and there'd still be some lingering people from the theater production. And, you know, I'd have to get them out usually no later than midnight, all lights off, shut everything down and then kind of make rounds. And you'd have to go around, make sure doors are locked, lights are off, blah, 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 blah. You know, I lived in that town my whole life at that point, 18 years. And at 18 years old, I knew everything. Everything. You knew it all. So, you know, you hear rumblings and it was just more of a, oh, Roberson's haunted because it's old. And I heard that when I first moved there. And I'll I'll get into a couple of the specific uh, haunting stories that are a little more recent than the original owners in a minute. But these are things that people are just aware about. It's not a big deal. You know, you don't hear of these outlandish ghost stories. It's just kind of like, oh, yeah, that place is haunted kind of thing. So at 18, nothing's scaring me. I'm going to be an FBI agent. You can't scare me. You're invincible. (laughs) Right? I mean, I had a flashlight, for God's sakes. I was powerful. I had a flashlight and a badge, man. (laughs) That's all you really need, a flashlight and a badge. Seriously. Uh, My talisman, man. I would go into the theater and, and, you know, the theater company would be, be walking out and they'd be like, are you all right here? And I'm like, what do you mean? Am I all right here? They're like, okay, well, we're leaving. How about we leave all the lights on while you, I'm like, I'm good. And like, I wasn't understanding. And one night, the whole front row, there's like two seats. The way the room is set up that stand out is basically the two center seats of the row. Mm-hmm. And I noticed, I'm like, for the last couple of nights, there was roses sitting in those seats. So me being the good security guard that I was, I'm like, oh, why do they keep leaving these here and forgetting them? So I pick them up and throw them in the garbage. Uh Uh-oh. 
Uh-oh, Shell. I have... Oh, no. Those were some sort of offering, right? I feel Why like those are an offering. Why don't you tell me things? <laughs> Why don't you tell me things? Like, if I'm the security guard and there's a reason, tell me. So two, three nights in a row, I throw them away. Fourth night in a row, I go, you know, they're still doing their production because I can't remember if it was like a week long or a two week long production, but like they were there every night for X amount of time. They're leaving, but I, I was doing other things. And like after they locked up and, and, and shut everything down, then I went to the theater. The roses are there again. Same two seats. I'm like, what the hell is why are they leaving them here? Oh, no. Because, you know, they're fresh roses. It's obviously not something they're using for the production because it would be dead. Like, like I basically I, I'm ruling out that it's a prop and that somebody is mysteriously leaving these here and they need to be thrown out. So I was tasked that every every hour I was supposed to do rounds and make sure everything was locked every hour, which at 18 years old, I didn't always do because I'm like, nobody's been in here in an hour and there's motion detectors and none of them went off. So obviously <laughs> the doors are all still locked. And I had some cameras and I'm like, nobody's been on camera and none of the alarms went off and I'm the only one here. And I know that door is still locked from 58 minutes ago. <laughs> so sometimes I wouldn't go every hour. Sometimes I go every three hours just because I was bored and to keep myself awake. It's hard when you are alone and it's 4 a.m. and you still got a long haul at till 7 a.m. And this is before there were cameras in every single room watching what you did. You could probably take a nap at your desk and no one would notice. But this was also before cell phones where I couldn't sit on my little cell phone the whole time. Right. Every, every couple hours I would get up and walk around. So my first set of rounds, I threw the roses. This is the fourth night now. First set of rounds, I throw the roses in the garbage. Then... I go, whatever, two, three hours later, because I was not going on the hour. I go two, three hours later. Now, here's the problem. I had smoked at work. I was 18. I was dumb. I do not promote people doing that. But at 18 years old, I didn't know any better. So I go do my rounds a couple hours later. And I'm like, wait a second. I could have swore I threw those roses away a couple hours ago. And I'm like, well, you know, I got high at work and I shouldn't have done that. And I probably think I did because that was yesterday and I didn't throw them away. And I got super paranoid and didn't smoke another drop at work because <laughs> I freaked myself out. It was a walk pretty much from where my security office was to the theater. And like, I felt like I was being followed back, followed back. I went back a second time and they were there again. No, even shit. though I knew I threw them away the first Holy time. So, I, so what do I do? Stupid me, throw them away again. I mean, one time, maybe one time I'd be like, wow, maybe I'm so high. I, I just thought I threw them away. Maybe I was thinking that I was going to and I just didn't. But I was getting scared several times. You can't blame scared. that on the weed anymore. That's weird. I was getting scared and, yeah, I, scary. Felt, and I felt like I was getting followed. Then I stopped making rounds. <laughs> Fuck so yeah. then the fifth night I go to work. And the theater people are still there. Did you ask about the roses? I'm like, what is going on? I'm like, I had the craziest. Are you guys sleeping flowers? They're like, you're touching those. I'm like, well, yeah, I throw them away every night. And I said, last night, I think I was having a problem. And they're like, you don't touch those. And I'm like, why? Apparently, nobody tells the new security girl. Mr. and Mrs. Roberson had that theater built because they loved theater performances. That was a big thing back then. 
And those were their seats and no one ever sat in those seats. And after they died, no one was ever allowed to this day. No one is allowed to sit in those two seats and every performance a rose is left in each seat for Mr. and Mrs. Roberson. They do not sell those seats and those two seats are not in the ticket count. Could you fill somebody in? <laughs> they could have told you, you wouldn't have thrown away the roses. Sounds like they got pissed by the fourth night. Basically I was pissing them off. So then of course I never entered the theater again. I would just, as long as I knew that they had shut all the lights off and locked the door, I never went in the theater again after that, <laughs> the whole time I worked there. I figured, you know what? Nobody's breaking in. The problem was a couple weeks later, I was starting to get camera movement. What do you mean camera movement in an empty house? <laughs> exactly. You know, back back in the early 90s, you know, like closed circuit television, like yeah, security camera, but they're all black and white. There ain't no mm-hmm. color to that shit back then. So I had cameras that like I could see different parts of the museum from my office. It would look like a person floating by, but like a cloudy person. Like obviously it was not an actual human being who broke into the museum, but it was definitely a person. In what room? Any of them. Any of them. This was about a month after the roses incident. It would, they would just start appearing in different rooms. So what, did they get comfortable with you at that point? And then they just start, they're like, oh, she's cool now. And they started walking around. I don't know. I'm going to fast forward to a, a, a more recent story than the Robersons. So like I said, Mrs. Roberson died in like 53. It was getting turned into uh, what the Robersons originally wanted. They wanted it to be donated as a community center. Mm-hmm. There's this gorgeous staircase. It's one of those wide oak staircases that it goes up and then at the top it splits to the left and to the right i think i've seen pictures at the masquerade ball people getting their pictures taken on that staircase when they go there for like the new year's eve ball actually i have i have pictures uh posted of me and my children at christmas time in that stairwell (laughs) oh very cool unfortunately a young boy fell over the railing at the top oh no essentially fell straight down <gasps> and oh, was a stories. unfortunately did not make it. Oh no. And he is also in that house. Oh, that's sad. Here I am. I won't go in the theater anymore because I pissed off Mr. And Mrs. Roberson apparently. So, I, so at this point I would only do my rounds in the actual house portion in the planetarium. I loved going to the planetarium. Probably the only part of that place that isn't haunted. (laughs) (laughs) So I I stopped going to the theater and and confined myself to the mansion piece. I would hear that little boy giggling and running. And I'd go up to the top of the stairs. And every time I'd get to the top of the stairs, I would just be so sad. So sad. Oh, like you could feel the emotion still there. Yeah. And if you were at the bottom of the stairs where he fell to all I can describe it as is like maybe like a two, three foot in diameter circle that like the minute you even, even the wood floor, cause you got to remember, you know, early 1900s, this is all wood floors and everything. Um, even the wood floor, it goes from like normal to like ice cold, like ice, ice cold. Oh wow. Like that, like that spot of impact is like, mm-hmm. So chilly, so cold. 
And it's almost like the little boy can't leave the area of the stairwell is my impression. I was in that house as recently as last Christmas or was it two Christmases ago? Might've been two Christmases ago. COVID time is weird. I know, right? What the museum does is every winter, like a Christmas trees from around the world and they have a Christmas tree decorated from every country. And so I have gone, even though my kids are adults now, we, we've, we hit that up sometimes on occasion. Oh, I bet it's beautiful. It is. It actually is. It's, it, and it, it's a good time. And, and, you know, there's a, a small entrance fee and that goes to keep the museum going. It's all a good cause. So me and the kids went, we had a good time. And I even went to that spot. I'm like, I wonder if it's still the same. Sure as shit, man. Icicles. Wow. I don't like that spot at the bottom. But what it is, is it's a, all you can feel is the feeling of a tragic accident. Like the emotions were so strong. You can still feel them. That's yeah. So sad. That is what really dominates. I feel in my personal opinion, it's, it's the little boy plunging down the stair that, that dominates the mansion portion, mm. but the Robersons got that theater on lockdown, man. <laughs> That's like, their space. At least when I was there, maybe it's because I pissed them off. Um, but these, these people, you know, there was some redecoration, um, going on cause they, they do different exhibits. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was still, uh, a sighting that I found online as recently as 2019. Like I said, I was there with the kids. What happened in 2019? They were getting ready to do another exhibit, change exhibits, um, where they kind of redecorate of sorts. Mm-hmm. So there were people there doing things like after hours, you know, things always happen at night. Do ghosts not realize that daytime is when we're awake and alert and can really have better conversations and interactions? I wonder, does it have something to do with like the veil being thinner at night or something? Is it, I don't know why. So at nighttime, there's people there at night when normally there aren't. Right, right. Usually this is kind of a not, not open at that time of thing. So this, these people are there kind of changing the exhibits around after hours. And all they keep hearing is a man on the second floor clearing his throat. At this point, there were no, there were no visitors in the museum. Oh, wow. Really? Right. It was just like a group of like four people doing some stuff. These four people were like all together in the same room. So it's not like one of them like maybe went off and was like coughing down the hall or something. There was only four people there and they were all together and they could hear a man clearing his throat on the second floor. All of a sudden, one of them was pointing. So, you know, they have it kind of decorated originally. They have it back to exactly how the um, Robersons had it right down to their personal property. Um, So there's a picture of Alonzo on the wall. Mm -hmm. One of the, one of the four people that were there pointed to the picture and kind of started laughing and said that that the guy in the picture was talking to him and trying to make funny faces. Really? Dang. All of a sudden, doors started opening and closing. Creepy. There has been instances, uh, believe it or not, where someone was actually told all they could hear was someone whispering in their ear, telling them they're being too loud. Were they in the theater? <laughs> it's almost like the, the Robersons have rules. And if you're not following them, they're going to tell you even to this day. 
So even after they were dead, they still want their rules. They still want things done their way and their yeah. rules followed. Oh, wow. There was a sighting um, as recently as 2015 of someone saying they saw Alonzo standing in the front door. Basically, they described it as watching the world go by. Like these are people that aren't necessarily from Binghamton, people who have been kind of tourists, so to say. Why would a tourist go to Binghamton, New York? But tourists, <laughs> so to say, that don't know anything about this place other than it's a museum have said that they have seen sightings of a man that was wearing a West Point uniform wandering the halls. Did Alonzo go to West Point? That's what I haven't been able to find out because there's also been reports of a Native American mother singing to her child. And there's been there's been reports of being able to hear children playing within the rooms. I wonder so, if because of the location, some of those some of those hauntings may be from another time. They may be location related and not house related. Right, because yeah. Remember back at the beginning, the confluence. So if you are a Native American back in the God knows what times, that confluence, you're getting your water, you're getting your fish, your crops are going to grow right by the water. Like, like those two rivers coming together was important to the natives. And oh, yeah, there's a lot of settlements in that area. You know, it's a very so rich I area. I think that some of it could definitely be location related, but I do think the Robersons are there, but I do believe that there is other things there that are land related, not structure related. Yeah. I've heard tales when I first moved there, I was told that the Roberson was haunted by Mr. and Mrs. Roberson. I, I didn't know the Rose's story until you told me that but i did know that they were they were frequent visitors to the theater and also that people that came to visit the museum would would usually see mr roberson walking into a room or something and there would be no one there or casual sightings of them like that they seem to be very active ghosts and people have multiple different different ways of seeing them or or different things that happen while they're there you know it's not just Oh, I saw the ghost walk up and down the stairs. And, and that's the same thing everyone sees. These are people are told different things or or they'll see uh, Mr. or Mrs. Roberson in a different place or they'll hear him clearing his throat or, you know, so it's, it's different. They seem to be very active and, and do very different types of things. But it seems like a lot of what people hear boils down to you're not following their rules and right. they're pissed. Right. You're not supposed to be here. So, you know, you get that that feeling or he'll show up. And there's been reports of people being told, like I said, you're too loud. There's been reports of people being told, shut the door. So it's like they hear they walk through a doorway and then it's like almost hearing your mom nagging in your ear, shut the door behind you. Right. Um, it's almost like some of some of the voice things are like, if your mom were telling you what to do, you know, right, turn the, the lights off, shut the, the door, things like that. Follow the rules. You're in my house. Shut the damn door behind you. Were you raised in a barn? I know that the Southern tier has quite a few um, ghost hunting groups, paranormal yep. investigator groups. Has any of them done any type of investigations at the Roberson? When I went through and was looking through trying to get some other people's point of views and other people's stories. I was not getting um, anything really from an actual paranormal group per se. I'm surprised because it's such a hotbed of, of activity. 
yeah, no, I, I, I wasn't really able to find anything necessarily. I think there's one called Southern Tier Paranormal Group. I think there's like the Greater Broome County Paranormal Group, but I didn't find anything from those folks, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. I wonder if they just don't allow it so much. It might be against the rules. <laughs> you know, um, people knock it. PBS, Public Broadcasting System. Everybody has one in their state and town. PBS had a couple of really good, they're not very long. They're like five minute clips, but, but PBS had a, a couple of, of really good clips where they talk about it briefly, oh, very which cool. I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah. The website realhaunts.com. They have a uh, nice little article about it as well. So there's a lot of information out there about it and a lot of people's personal accounts. As a museum, you know, people think that when you walk through a museum that has everything kind of left as is, people think that, oh, well, you know, there's a bedroom, there's going to be a spirit. Oh, you know, there's the living room, there's going to be a spirit. Well, something about, you know, people's energies attaching to objects as well as to place. But I feel that from my own personal experience and a lot of the experiences other people had that I was reading about online from some of the local websites is that the majority of the experiences tend to happen in the theater at the either at the top or the bottom of, of that that big humongo staircase and sometimes in some of the halls there's like these long thin hallways i don't know the activity is just it, it's it's confined to specific parts of the house it's not everywhere in the house they do seem to be very active in the places that they kind of haunt you know they'll, right they'll say things or say different things or you know they'll react to something like someone leaving a door open as opposed to just being like a static haunt right right but again i just also feel that there's stuff oozing through the walls of that house that is that is more more location based land related like like the native american mother singing to her child you know, all the children laughing and playing and stuff. I mean, we know that the Robersons did not have children. Obviously, if they didn't have children, those children must have been there prior. You know what I'm saying? Right. Where did those hauntings come from? And they actually, believe it or not, and we'll have to do this sometime because I've actually never really done one of these officially, obviously having worked there uh, when I was younger, but they do official uh, haunted tours where they go into a lot of ghost stories and staff experiences. That would be an adventure to go to. Yeah, that, that would be cool. And they talk a lot about the, the Robersons themselves and about some of the history and what they know about the natives that were on that property prior. So it, I, I, I think it would be neat. There, it, it is a big house because of some of the, I'll call them land ghosts. You just have this ever, ever, feeling of something's there something's you just there feel it when you go into a house with that much history yeah i mean my daughter got married last year and we had her bridal shower up in the ballroom which was on the top floor of the mansion so you know i'm in there during the day and even during the day you're not alone you are very clearly not alone when you are at that place day or night it, you you have that sense of you are very clearly not alone you could feel that presence even during the, the daylight hours. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and that was just last year, literally almost exactly 
actually almost to the weekend, exactly a year ago. And you just feel it. You just know there's other people there and you're just kind of a visitor. Oh, wow. You know, local legends like that are kind of fascinating. Most places have them. You know, there's the haunted house or that, that you're not supposed to go to or the haunted street or everyone knows of the the woods or the creek or whatever that has the, the local story or, or a cryptid that roams nearby. You know, some are more famous than others. The only the only one, this is not, never anything I personally saw myself, um, but I have read some stories, but I can't find any origin is the person in the West Point uniform. Multiple people over multiple decades um, have seen someone in a West Point uniform. I don't know the tie-in to the property. If anybody happens to know that tie-in, shoot us an email because I'd be curious. Interesting. That reminds me of like the cowboy at the um, at the Overlook Hotel uh, where the Shining yeah. book takes yeah. place. Nobody knows where that cowboy came from or who he is, but so many people have seen him in the same room that he's definitely a ghost there, but they just don't know where he came from. No, we can account for the Robersons. We can ac- account for, for the Native American woman. We can account for the children. But this guy in the West Point uniform, he's I don't mystery. know what to tell you. Oh, I wonder if any of our listeners, any of our wonder, you guys are so wonderful. If you guys have any information on this person in the West Point uniform at the Roberson Museum, please give us an email. The Stone Witches at gmail.com. I'd be curious because, you know, being being born and raised in Binghamton, who knows? Maybe it was a long lost relative of mine. I don't know. Maybe it could have been. Oh, my goodness. So local legend seems to be kind of a topic that we're doing because today I'm talking about La Llorona, which is a local legend here in the southwestern USA. What's that? I've never heard of that. Now, is this what is this? Is this is this Spanish? What what start with the name? Is this Spanish? La Llorona. La Llorona. La what Llorona. does that mean? What's that translate to? You love your lady in white stories. I do. Well, they're so ubiquitous. I guess it translates to the weeping woman or the wailer. La Llorona means, you know, the, the woman who cries. I'm already sad and I don't even know the story. I'm just sad yes. by the name. Even though the name sounds beautiful. It does. La Llorona sounds very beautiful. And the woman who cries or the wailing woman is, is a beautiful name. But her story is anything but beautiful. It's quite tragic. So I'm going to start by telling you a story. So grab your cute little silicone pipe, get some of your, your good dog patch there, Shell, and pack her right up. I'm going to tell you a story. Okay, I'm puffing. All right. Lay so, it on me. Way back in the day in Mexico, I believe it was the 14 and the 1500s, is roughly when they think this story took place. Oh, wow. So this is an oldie one. This is a very old, old story. And, and it has some even older roots, but we'll get into that. So they just say long ago. So long ago in Mexico, there was a beautiful woman and her name was probably Maria. Some don't say any name, but so there was a woman named Maria long ago in Mexico. Long ago in Mexico. So let's see if I can get higher and say that like a sixth time. Long ago in Mexico, Mexico. there was a beautiful woman named Maria. (laughs) She lived... (laughs) She lived with her siblings and her widowed father. And by all accounts, she was a hardworking, beloved girl. She took care of her family. She was well-known in town and everyone loved her. And of course, she was stunningly beautiful. Very Aren't poor. They, all? they always are. They always are. They're all pretty and they all play with Ouija boards. 
<laughs> she did not. In her defense, no Ouija board here. However, okay. stunningly beautiful girl. And as beautiful girls, as any girls sometimes are wont to do, she liked to go hang out and go dancing at night. So she'd do her chores during the day. And at night she would go dancing, dance the night away and flirt with all the boys in town. However, sounds reasonable. Yeah, of course. Why not? She gets her stuff done. She can go party. What the fuck? She's allowed. Anyway, party like it's 1499, man. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So party girl does not want anything to do with the local village boys. They're much too common. She's common too. She's just a commoner, but she has her sights she's set more higher. she's she's more uncommon <laughs> that's right she's looking her she mind. has loftier goals and so she has her sights set on uh, a gentleman of a higher standing she finds this man and she woos him and he's entranced by her beauty and marries her and they have some children and everything seems good but this upper class man is a little resentful that she's just a commoner and he's busy, he's working all the time, loves his children, dotes on his children, but he's kind of bored of his common wife. He married down. He married down, and, and he takes great pleasure in letting her know this. And so he's gone longer and longer on business, and she's more and more frustrated. And one day, she's down by the river, and her children are playing nearby, and she's washing clothes, and she sees him ride by with a beautiful young woman sitting on his lap, and they are more than intimate oh yeah so maria sees red and is livid and completely loses her mind and grabs her children in a rage and throws them into the river oh my god the poor children drown and seconds after their little heads go underwater she realizes what she has done and wailing and crying completely beside herself with grief and she drowns herself in the river after them. However, she then gets to heaven and is told that she cannot enter until she finds the souls of her children that she murdered. They sent her back to earth and you'll see her gaunt and sad and crying, dressed all in white, her hair in tatters, her once beautiful face all gaunt with sadness. And she just walks along these waterways crying, I miss hijos which means, oh, my children, and they hear her cry this. And if you see her, it's dangerous because it's said that she looks for children. She's trying to find her children. And so if she sees children by the water. She'll take any children. She'll grab them and take them. And when she sees that they're not the souls of her children, she kills them. And so she keeps looking. And this tale is often told like a boogeyman tale. It's very often told as a tale to young children. You know, like a lot of boogeyman tales, they'll hear it in, you know, in, in elementary school. Stay away from the river. The weeping lady will come get you. Right. Come home before dark or La Llorona will get you. Don't, don't go down by the water. Exactly. Or La Llorona will get you. And so this is a story that's, that's very often told. And depending on the region where it's told, it will take on a little bit of the local flavor. You know, it'll be this particular lake or that particular river, or the woman will have two children, or sometimes she'll have three children. You know, the story will change a little bit depending on who's telling it and where they're from or where they're telling it about, because it kind of changes with the region to kind of fit where you're at. Much like other woman in white ghost stories, And this one particularly hit home for me because it it touches on so many different things. You know, there's that 
there's a woman who is is looking for something better right and she finds it only to realize it's not really what she wanted or it didn't work and and it also fits with some of these tales that you hear you know of of postpartum depression or or women who are in impossible situations you know it kind of the story parallels mental illness domestic abuse it also parallels some of the stories of mexico itself with the people themselves being disregarded by the colonizers who came in and treating them you know badly and it, it's just interesting how many of these stories kind of weave together that is like heartbreaking oh my gosh it is one of the saddest stories i ho- was hoping you were going to tell me that she went up and murdered her husband <laughs> right and and interestingly enough the story itself probably did start with her murdering her husband because the original story was most likely about a, an aztec goddess and i'm going to try and say this correctly siwakawat so the aztec goddess siwakawat is the serpent wo- woman the goddess of motherhood midwives and fertility uh, she was also in charge of so like women who died in childbirth, their spirits supposedly became part of uh, Siwakawat's posse, I guess, like her group. And they were called the Siwateo, I believe, Siwateo. Oh. And they haunted crossroads, much like the goddess Hecate being in charge of the crossroads and the afterlife. And these women of the afterlife who had died in childbirth also haunted crossroads and would seek victims and would sometimes kill unfaithful men. They've also been known to seduce men. So they have kind of a a good and a bad connotation. But you take this powerful goddess and then you bring in the Christian influence of like Spanish conquistadors and the, and the Spanish colonizers. And they brought with them that same idea of of shame and and women being lesser. So they took this. It's possible that one of the origins of La Llorona was a a cautionary tale. You know, women should be good and stay at home. You should you shouldn't try to rise above your station. You know, you shouldn't, you know, you should be kind when your husband works long hours. And because they use her as kind of a a scapegoat, kind of they hold her up as the poster woman for be obedient, you know, and, and don't or or you'll you'll be just as evil as she is. See what happens when you try to reach too high, when you get too vain. Basically, women still, we were at a point where you needed to know your place. That's right. And they see this goddess this of motherhood and of fertility. And it went against everything they were preaching. Right, exactly. And so a lot of these old tales would get kind of twisted. And and the fun part, if there is a fun part, I guess, of La Llorona is, is in the, you know, kids tell these stories to each other. There's the Candyman. There's the the bloody mary there's all these different stories that little kids tell each other to scare each other i asked my kids friends if they had heard this story and they had heard it and it was usually in the the sense of be careful or la llorona will get you so it's kind of like don't stay out after dark because the boogeyman is out there and so being careful with that and and so it's more of a cute childhood story but it's wrapped in this story that's also meant for grown-ups too. know your place and be careful you know or these you'll turn into this monster i think it's very interesting that to this day so you said in the beginning that this is from like the 1400 something to this day kids are being told mind your ass or she's coming for you right right yeah and that makes you think you know how can something be 
literally hundreds of years passed out and, and not have truth to it. Yeah, the story is so powerful and it resonates so strongly with people that that it, it does. Like you said, it, it's been hundreds of years. I mean, there there's Domino Rene Perez is an author who wrote a book, There Was a Woman, La Llorona, From Folklore to Popular Culture. And he mentions, he talks about elements from 1529. So it's definitely, like you said, hundreds and hundreds of years old. So it's something about it is so universal that touches on something that people keep telling it. And it's same as the other lady in white stories. They are often decades, if not hundreds of years old in the different places where they come from. So just a scary, scary thing. You know, don't go out after dark or La Llorona will get you. Oh, when I was doing my research, I came across a podcast uh, by these two women, Christina and MJ, and they're two Latina women, and they have a podcast called East Spooky Tales. And it's uh, their description says Latin American folklore, myths, legends, haunted places, and East Spooky Cuentos del Rancho. Hear the stories you grew up with, like La Llorona, as well as true stories from listeners and guests. Christina and MJ are wonderful. I listened, they have two episodes about La Llorona, and they're both very, very good. And they go into some of the history and some of the different tales. As I was saying before, there's different versions of the story. And when I was listen, listening to Ispuki's La Llorona tale, uh, MJ told of her version that she had heard where La Llorona isn't a bad mom. She's not uh, reaching above her station woman. She's just a woman who lived on the outskirts of town. She was widowed and she had her child. She had three children. She was taking the long walk into town one day to get supplies. And when she got into town, she saw that the town had been ransacked. You know, in Mexico's history, there's a, there's a lot of war. There's a lot of strife. But so this woman goes into town and she sees that soldiers have come in and killed everybody. So she immediately turns around and runs back to her children to try and protect them but she's too late. When she gets back to her home, her children have been killed and were thrown in the lake next to her house. And in her grief, she drowns herself in the lake next to them because she couldn't save them. Oh my God. In that version of the story, La Llorona again wanders around this lake looking for her children, but she's not the she's not the evil woman of some of the other stories. She's more of a sympathetic character in this one. So it kind of depends on what area you're getting the legend from, whether she was good or evil. Correct. You know, who's telling the tale and, and what, like you said, what area are you coming what's from? What's their there? twist, basically? What's their twist? And And some of them, most of them are... She was a woman reaching above her station and in blind, jealous rage, she murdered her children and then either starved herself to death or drowned herself right afterwards in her grief. Gotcha. But it just really depends. I, I just want to know if children literally legitimately disappeared, like, will she come take you? There are people who have seen her and have heard her. They say, if you hear I miss hijos and a woman sobbing near a body of water, get away now because she's coming for you. And there are some places online that you can see people have taken pictures of ghostly figures in white uh, near rivers and people, everybody, a lot of people have stories of their own of seeing or hearing her in different places. It, even there are some modern, you know, within the last couple decades, um, murders that were committed by women who said that La Llorona, that they were La Llorona or that La Llorona made them do it. So it's not just a legend being passed down. There are people who are still 
saying they're having a paranormal experience involving her. Yes, there are okay, people who okay. do, they search for her and do say that they have seen her. Uh, there are people who d definitely have stories of seeing her. So it, it's, it's one of those things that, um, you know, the story changes a little bit, but it still has that kernel and it probably goes back to a goddess, but whether it was the the Catholics or the Christians that changed the story or whether it was changed by people to to help turn it into more of a cautionary tale and teach their morals and values. It's still a sad, spooky tale. Yikes. It is. It is. It's very sad. And, you know, unfortunately, that is like one of those restless spirits that will never their, their spirit will be restless pretty much for all eternity. That's the sad part. It's almost like she, she doesn't get to really die. No, she doesn't ever get to rest. And, and all the stories do agree on that, that for whatever reason, she was cursed to stay on the earth until she could find the souls of her children and be reunited with them. And until that happens, she's doomed to stay here. And I think that might be another reason why this story has such longevity is because it, it touches something in, in every person who is a child and every child and everyone who was ever a child and in mothers, you know, that, that sense of loss and what could drive someone to do something so horrible. And of course she's going to be tormented for eternity by what she had done. You know, that's, that's horrific. And it's something that's, that's super scary. And, and I, I think that kind of gives it staying power because it just touches on such a, a primeval part of people. Well, that and the fact that there's still sightings and, and, and things of that nature, that, that's definitely contributing to the staying power. Now, where, where in Mexico is this, roughly, give or take? See, that's the thing, is it's everywhere. You can find this story um, all over Mesoamerica and even up into southern california new mexico texas i mean the, oh, the story really? is kind of yeah it's kind of traveled all over and so again and, and so it's even the though sasquatch of the south <laughs> <laughs> right so exactly it's kind of everywhere this story pops up in all sorts of different places in that area all through mesoamerica all through even the aztecs had some stories with the goddess that seemed to be similar but she's kind of everywhere so yeah, scary, scary story and, and kind of beautiful and sad. And, you know, there's a lot to it and, it and it's a beautiful, tragic story. Some of these things are, you know, heartbreaking, heartbreaking. And I think that's one thing that people forget about paranormal stories and ghost stories and all of that. I think the thing that people forget is that generally they all start from some tragic, sad story murder, death, doom, sickness. Every good ghost story starts with sadness. Yeah, with someone else's personal tragedy. That's true. It's just sad. It is sad. It is sad. And it this one, you know, when you think about it from a child perspective, it's just fun. It's it's the bloody mary in the mirror ghost story. And then when you grow up and you look at it you're like damn that's fucked up <laughs> the basis of the story is pretty fucked even though yeah. as a kid it might be a a fun bloody mary type story or you know freddy's coming for you if you go to sleep kind of thing but but the root of it is is heartbreak and sadness yeah Thank you all to all of our wonderful listeners. You guys are amazing. We super appreciate all your reviews, your emails, your DMs. Please keep them coming. And if you have a personal ghost story that you would like us to read on one of our Your Stories, 
please send them to the stoned witches hour at gmail.com. And if we choose your story, we will read it on the air on our next book of your stories. But the fact that people actually think we're entertaining is, is I find that funny, but we appreciate all of our listeners, especially my son. Shout out to my son, my son, my son has been taking the back burner lately to his sister. So I just want to say you're a good boy. And thank you for listening to mommy and Layla's show. Cause we love you. We do love you. Thank you so much. If you did like our show, please like, follow, subscribe, leave us a review. It helps the show out and we appreciate it so much. Tell us about your weed, people. Tell us about your weed, people. We always tell you about our weed. Tell us about your weed. Yes. Tell us what you're smoking. What are you smoking today? Spooky friends? Yeah, people. What are you smoking? I'm going to put some more of this dank looking purpley bacchio gelato in my bong and smoke it up. And thanks to all of our wonderful listeners. Cheers. Uh, so, do you have any idea what you're going to talk about next week, Shell? Actually, I was thinking of keeping it local because I, uh, I I will probably still be in upstate New York. So I was going to talk about the, the Binghamton Psychiatric Center. Ooh. Another spooktacular location. I am going to talk about a haunted location myself. It's called the Dumas Hotel or the Dumas Brothel. It was a bordello Ooh. in Butte, Montana, and it is definitely haunted. Get high and be there. <laughs> we'll see you next time on The Stone, which is ours. See you next week at 4.20 a.m. <laughs>